My name is Jonah Wright, and it's my job to give you the tools that you need in order to build a full and successful life from the ground up and with your own two hands. This is the Blue Collar Blueprint Podcast. All right, guys, what's going on? Welcome to the show. Uh, we are joined today by Leighton Harris, one of my good friends uh, and financial advisor, as it were. And uh, we're really excited to be together and finally get this interview going. So we're, I'm sure, we're going to get into some really great stuff. But before we dive into all of that, I want to give Leighton an opportunity to introduce himself and uh, just have an opportunity to say hi. So Awesome. I appreciate it, Jonah. Um, so yeah, you know, to give a little background on myself, my name's Leighton Harris. Um, I'm the founder of Harris Financial, um, which is a financial planning firm. Um, and we're based out of Missouri, actually. Um, you know, a little backstory on me. Um, I grew up from a modest background. Um, and I tend to work with a lot of blue collared, you know, professionals as a result of that. My grandfather owned a, you know, trucking company. Um, so he was very much the type of person to just get in and, and get in the trenches and make things happen. Um, I have a couple of cousins that are linemen and welders. Um, so that holds close to my heart because I know uh, not only the risks they take every day, but also, you know, unfortunately, the lack of information there is financially for that community. Um, and then obviously my dad, my dad was an engineer. Um, he's specifically a civil engineer. And so you know, he was constantly, you know, in the energy and the water field, um, constantly looking on working on power and water for actually Springfield, Missouri, where we live. So, um, you know, I think, you know, background on me, uh, the most important thing in my life is my faith. Um, Harris Financial is a, a Christian financial planning community that serves everyone regardless of beliefs. But I think our morals and how we approach finances is completely um, aligned with how God talks about finances in the Bible, whether it's from savings, whether it's managing your debt, or whether it's the things as simple as figuring out how to budget. Um, it's making sure that everything we're doing has a purpose at all times to create an intentional lifestyle, not one that we just fall into. Because um, everything is by design. Um, if we really want something, we have to be intentional about how are we designing our dollars. And so that's like kind of how I, I created Harris Financial is the goal was to help others create abundance um, so they could pursue their dreams fearlessly and give God all the glory in the process. And it starts with being intentional about what you want. Um, has nothing to do with the amount of money you can save or where you should save it. It has everything to do with the vision you need to cast for your future. So, um, you know, growing up, uh, you know, I was, I was, uh, you know, really to explain my life growing up, I was very blessed. Both parents, you know, married, still married to this day. Um, dad was a sole income earner. Um, but really quickly, uh, he, you know, kind of at the end of the day told me like, Hey, you're the ownership of your life, even though you're living under my roof. Um, so everything from my vehicle to college to football cleats, like I had to come up with a way to figure out of how to work for my dad or work for myself to financially provide for those things, even though he was very well off financially. Um, and I think that created a lot of struggle for me as a child because I saw a lot of my, my friends, um, a lot of people um, getting things that I didn't necessarily have, even though I felt like they weren't as well off as my dad was. And so what, what happened during that time is I was able to really start valuing what it means to trade time for money, mm. which is what a lot of our audience is probably doing right now, right? We're in the position where we're trading time for money right now. And many of us are listening into this podcast because we don't want to do that forever. Um, and so what I eventually was able to do is learn how to trade time for money. But then when I joined the financial planning industry, that's where I learned how we can actually trade wealth to get our time back. Um, and so that, that's a little bit about me so far. Um, you know, I'm married, my wife, Courtney and I have been married for two years. Um, no, no children yet, but like most millennial married couples, we have a dog that we treat like a child. So, um, but yeah, that's a little bit me to get started. Well, that's great, man. So there's a lot in there that I, that I, uh, would love to sort of dive into a little bit. You hit on some things that I think are extremely important. So you, you led the whole conversation off. And this is something that is evident with the sign that's right behind you. People can kind of figure it out. But the second I spoke to you, I knew that we were, uh, you know, of like mind in the way that we approach our faith and the way that we approach 
the way that we try to create abundance in life, right? Because there's so many guys who are out there and there are a lot of podcasts like this and other things that solely focus on trying to build a business or solely focus yeah. on trying to make more money. And that is super important. Just like your dad, you know, uh, took care of your family. I'm in that position right now. God bless it, uh, you know, where my wife can stay home with our kids and, and that's the way that I grew up and that's a wonderful thing. You got to make a lot of money in order to do that. You know, it's a it's a tricky thing. So making money is important, and having the opportunity to do all of the things that we do and we talk about on the show are critical. But that's yeah. only part of it, right? The the goal is to learn how to live a truly fulfilled life, and a full life isn't just a big fat pile of dollars. That's part of it, uh, but it's also having a happy marriage and a happy family and a fulfilled spiritual life and a you know health and all of these different things. So I love that you come from everything in that perspective. I think that's really interesting. And you can tell that you integrate all of that into every area of your life. In uh, the audience will hear too, as we sort of dive into this. But the first thing I want to ask you is what is it that a financial advisor does? Like what specifically is your craft? And what what can you add? Man, that's a great question. I think I think to start that off, I think we need to understand that there's different types of financial advisors, honestly. Um, and so I say that to say that I may not be the best fit for you, actually, to be transparent to those of you listening in. Um, but a financial advisor can be multiple things. You know, for instance, you know, a lot of companies that I interact with that like, you know, when I'm getting introduced to new people, some of the some of the very popular and very well respected firms like Edward Jones, Merrill Lynch right now um, are some great investment companies. In fact, they're top five in the entire country at what they do. So they're very good. Um, however, those financial advisors, what I've come to see in my seven years of experience and meeting with over a thousand people now, is they're what's called a money manager. So they're not here to you know, look at the whole picture. Usually the questions you get asked by those individuals is, what's your risk tolerance? You know, what's your cash flow? How much are you trying to save? What rate of return are you expecting? It's very performance driven in terms of the investment space. I take a little bit of a different approach. I'm what I would consider instead of a financial advisor, I'm a financial planner. I'm a vision caster. I'm a, you know, a learning um, partner, a listening partner, I guess I should say. I'm sitting down with you and, and you know, Jonah, you experienced this with me. That first meeting, there was zero talk really honestly about products. It was everything to do with what are you trying to accomplish in the next two years, two to 30 years, and 30 plus years out? What's going to matter? It's, it's elaborating on those details of, of you painting the picture to me. And I'm just sitting there and listening. Honestly, because that's, that's honestly at the end of the day, you know, biblically speaking, that's what Christ does every day when we pray to him. When we pray to Christ, he is there listening and then creating guidance afterwards. And I want to keep that same posture in my financial planning for my clients. I want to listen to them. I want to hear what they want and most importantly, why they want it. And from there, I can reverse engineer just like any good, you know, blue collar professional does when they know what the end result is supposed to be. They can start reverse engineering what tools, vehicles and things they need to use to get there as efficiently and effectively as possible. So in honest. And an honest, transparent look, I'm not the money manager guy. And if you're looking for somebody to give you a specific rate of return, don't come to me. Um, not because I'm not capable of doing well. You know, our office as a whole manages 50 million in assets um, just on the investment side alone. And we do a great job at getting great performance for our clients. But that's not the end result for us as a rate of return. The end result is what income do you want passively? At what age do you want? Are you factoring in how much taxes are going to impact you? Are you thinking about the risk that could happen along the way? If your spouse passes away or you become disabled and can't work, how are you taking risk off the table so you can pursue these goals more fearlessly? All things that most financial advisors, aka money managers, aren't talking about because that's not where they make their money. They make their money by collecting investment dollars, performing well with those dollars for their clients, so those clients will hopefully in return give more money to them and trust them with more dollars. I am instead taking a much more comprehensive and holistic approach right, right. where we are thinking about, hey, maybe, you know, maybe in one vehicle you're going to get half a percent higher return, 
but what if in this other bucket, it's a tax-free return instead of a taxable return? You may actually end up netting a better result as opposed to the vehicle that has maybe half a percent, 1% better return. And so it's, it's really looking at, you know, the devil's in the details, unfortunately, right? In life and in finances, in your marriage, um, in your friendships. And if you aren't paying attention to those details and, and being aware of the needs of your wife or your spouse or, or being, you know, in touch with the needs of your friends and your family, you may drop the ball and lose those relationships, which is why it's so important for us to not be so money focused. But when we are money focused, we need to be paying attention to those details. And most of you out there probably aren't very detail oriented. And that's why having somebody like me is helpful because you don't have to change who you are. You just have somebody who can consult you on those things and keep those in mind at all times and lets you continue to do what you do best, which is your profession. Yeah, that's, you know, man, one of the things that I found to be really impressive about uh, our first meeting and the reason we decided to work together and, and have been pursuing that professional side of our relationship is because exactly what you said when I, I was sort of, <laughs> I got introduced to you because I, I have a friend who had a conversation with you and, and he said, look, I've got this financial advisor guy. He focuses on real estate investors and contractors. And I was like, oh, that's me, you know, sign me up. And obviously that's why we wanted to have you on the show. Cause that's exactly who our audience is, right? It's contractors, blue collar professionals and real estate investors primarily or investors of any type, people who are trying to get to that financial freedom, following the blue collar blueprint, the learn, earn, churn, and not hold that whole nine yards. But what I was really impressed with about you is you didn't say, okay, how much money do you have dedicated to go into this fund, you know, to do all these sort of things. And Absolutely. we certainly talk about that stuff. And that's important because we want to continue to grow. Uh, like you said, you reverse engineer, what tools can we use in order to get you to move towards these goals? But your focus was really broad and I, I'm a pretty financially literate guy and you were exposing me to things that I just haven't considered before. Um, and I am a detailed oriented person when it comes to, you know, what I'm doing with my dollars because I'm trying to be very intentional with that. Uh, but you were exposing me and saying like, well, what about this angle? Or what if we approached it from this way? Or maybe we should do some of this instead of some of that. And I thought, wow, that's a really interesting way to go about it. And so, uh, I've, I found that to be really encouraging and, uh, and very exciting. So let's go ahead and talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about some of the strategy type stuff, maybe some of the things that we've done together and that kind of thing about what tools and strategies can and should people who are specifically in that blue collar construction contractor sort of world or any really self-employed person who is responsible for <laughs> taking care and sort of shaping their financial future. Um, what are the critical skills that those people need to have in order to make sure that they're getting themselves on the right foot? Because most of the guys who are out there and ladies uh, who are watching this are young people. They're just getting started in their financial life. So I'd really love it if you could talk to the guy who's starting from zero or who doesn't have a whole lot to work with. Yeah. What can he do? What can they do in order to get their families on the right foot to make sure that that financial component of their life is in the right order right from the get go? Yeah, great question. And honestly, this might be the most important thing anybody um, can tell you right now if you're in this position where you're, you're just starting out is that's great, actually. You should be excited that you're starting out. Yeah. You actually shouldn't be upset that you're not where Jonah is or where I am or where somebody else in your life that you're comparing yourself to because we made these mistakes yes, way later in life. <laughs> and so you have an amazing opportunity to learn from other people's mistakes so you never have to make them. And then by the time you're our same age or you're as far along in your financial journey as we are, you're going to be way farther ahead than I was. And that's actually my goal with every client is like I yeah. want to – you know, I've been doing this for a little bit, you know, close to seven years now, and I promise I don't know everything. Um, but at the same time, you may be able to be in the same position I am four years into your journey as a result of learning this today. So if I was to break down for, for anybody who's a contractor, blue collared professional, real estate investor, I will break it down in the image that we all can relate to, which is building a house. When we build a house, um, we need a blueprint. At the end of the day, we need a plan. We need you know, something that is laid out before we ever start taking tools to you know, the tool shed, um, before we ever start hammering a nail in. We need a blueprint, and that's where a financial plan comes into place. It's like, hey, 
yes, we need insurance. Yes, we need investments. Yes, there's you know trust and wills that need to be established for estate planning. But you don't necessarily start with the roof of a home when you start building a house. Right. You know, if you go to the site and your contractor's out there putting up the walls and the, the concrete hasn't even been poured for the foundation, you're having a freak out. You're having a panic attack, especially if it's your home they're building, right? So I think we need to understand that the first thing we start with is laying a foundation. And it's not the most sexy part of a plan either. So spoiler alert, your foundation, your financial plan isn't going to be your real estate investment. It's not going to be your cryptocurrency or your stocks or your mutual funds or any other investments that are out there that are doing great. Um, it's going to be three basic principles. First and foremost is an emergency fund. And that's having three to six months of your fixed expenses in a bank account. It's not going to grow well. It's going to be sitting there stagnant, but it's liquid. It's stable. It's safe. And if anything unexpected comes short term, you're bulletproof. That's going to keep you from having to take on unnecessary debt and feel like you're behind the eight ball as a result of an unexpected event. Because it's not if it will happen, it's when. When the car loses a tire, you know, when, you know, for some reason you're injured for two weeks and you can't go to work and you don't have any PTO left. Um, you know, there's so many situations where an emergency fund is just absolutely critical. I still have it to this day. And, you know, in a business where my overhead is well over 10,000 a month now, I could think of a lot of things I would like, you know, 20, 30, 40,000 to be doing right now rather than sitting in my savings. But I also know with foresight, unexpected things can you know, happen and I want to show up powerfully for my family and be prepared for anything. Yeah. So having that emergency fund is step one. Step two is having the right insurance in place. And again, another topic that when we hear that word, we think of money going down the drain like car insurance. You know, We pay for it every year and for most of us, we're pretty good drivers, so we don't end up really needing to use it, thankfully. But it's better to have it um, than you know, need it and not have it. So we need to make sure we have the right insurance in place. And for blue collared professionals, contractors, there is absolutely two things I would recommend you have in place. And that is first and foremost, long-term disability insurance, if you can qualify for it. Now, unfortunately, some jobs are too high risk that you can't qualify for it. Others like business owners, there has to be three to four years of proven income as a business before you can qualify for it. Um, however, if you are employed right now, you are working for a company or you are a W-2 right now, um, or you have over three years of experience in your business, you can protect your income. And that may be the most important thing you can ever do. Because simply put, whether you get hit by the beer truck tomorrow, or whether you're hurt on the job, or whether you have a you know, accident and it causes a mental deficiency, all those things can keep you from doing your job right now. You know. For instance, a lineman, you know, goes to work, but then, you know, is playing basketball in his free time, breaks both of his hands. How's he going to do his job? You know, honestly, and this is one of the things that you have set me up with, and I will just go ahead and preempt this. So we're not doing a sales pitch here, but I will tell you that I had thought for a long time that getting insurance like this sufficient to cover my particular needs was going to be a lot more expensive than it actually ended up being. Uh, so this mm -hmm. is one of those things that like has given me so much peace of mind since we've established this this insurance policy, because I think about it all the time. I work with my hands. If I break my left finger, you know, like my booger finger on my left hand, I'm in trouble. You know, like I literally won't be able to, to do my job, uh, at least to the rate that I can. So something as simple as that, or if I take a wrong step off of a, a scaffold, it's like, whoa, well, that, uh, that whole idea of me supporting my family is now in jeopardy. And so having this insurance you know, it's like a couple, a few hundred bucks a month. This is not a huge uh, capital outlay. And it is, man, it is, it's been, it, it just the weight that has lifted off of my shoulder since this has been in place has been substantial. So that's, that's a huge thing. I, I really relate exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And to give people a great imagery, like, cause sometimes it's hard to conceptualize that and be like, how do I justify giving this much money away for something that may never happen? Um, like, let's imagine you had an ATM outside of your, you know, your, the door of your house. And every day you walked out, you knew $100 was going to spit out of that ATM free of charge, and you're just going to take it and run with it. How much of that 100 bucks would you set aside for maintenance 
to maintain, repair, mm. and keep that ATM up and running the rest of your life, knowing it's going to spit out a free hundred dollars every single day. I have a lot of clients would tell me, well, shoot, I'll set aside 50 to guarantee it, or I'll set aside 20 of that hundred dollars to guarantee it. The reality is disability insurance would cause would really cost you two dollars out of that hundred dollars mm. to insure your income. For every hundred dollars, typically what I see is around two to three dollars. Um, of insurance costs for every $100 of monthly income you're trying to protect. And that's a no-brainer at that point. Yeah. Um, you know, it's the same way with, with tithing as, you know, a believer. You know, we're, we tithe 10% of our income because we believe God can do more with the 90% than we can do with the full 100. And it's also a sign of, you know, recognizing that this is his income, not ours. Why are we not thinking that same way when it comes to protecting our income? Hey, I'd, I'd gladly give up two to three percent of my income if it means I can guarantee the whole hundred percent there the next thirty years. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, guys. This the is, crazy this is thing a big is one. too, the American College of Financial Services actually ran a test right now on anybody under the age of forty, um, like a statistic test, and one out of every four individuals under the age of forty is likely to have a disability at some point in time in their career, and it will average about two point four years. You're kidding. So if there's two other people on this Zoom call right now, one of us is likely to have something happen to us. And, you know, I don't like those odds, even though that's not, you know, 100%, 25% is a pretty (laughs) percentage to risk losing your income. So, yeah, that's, man, that's, listen to the man. This is, this is essential, especially again, guys, like we have a, for this audience, this this whole method, the whole blue collar blueprint is about using your your personal skill set in order to leverage your skills into income. And if you're in a situation where you cannot do your skill set, you're going to be in big trouble. So you've got to get yourself some insurance in place. Not uh, just just do it for heaven's sake. Absolutely. I mean, this is important. Like you said, this is the foundation. This is digging the footer. I mean, this is like your entire life is going to be built up off of that because no matter how much you've got going on, until you reach that place of financial freedom where your investments are, you're, where you don't have to do anything in order to get your money anymore, you're, you have to physically be out there doing your thing. And if you don't have something in place, one mistake can cause that whole thing to come, come crumbling down. It's just not worth Absolutely. it. It's just not yeah. worth it. Um, you know, and I think this, you know, segues again, none of what we've talked about yet, guys, is very exciting. Like this isn't stuff that's going to make you money, but what it is going to do is one, it's going to keep you from losing money and taking a step backwards, which at the end of the day, that's the first way to guarantee financial growth is guaranteeing no steps backwards. Mm. It's just like, it's like net worth, for example, right? It's assets minus liabilities. What brings you forward with your net worth? Acquiring assets. What holds your net worth back? Liabilities that are dragging it down. If we get rid of all the liabilities in your financial plan, maybe you're not taking three steps forward every day, but instead of taking two steps forward and one step back, you're taking two steps forward with none back. And the compound effect of that over 10, 15 years is so crucial. It can be dramatic. And honestly, again, a lot of the stuff is very inexpensive. It doesn't cost a lot to get this protection and peace of mind in place. And then it's going to allow you to be so much more fearless when you go to buy that rental property. Or when you go to make that investment in that mutual fund, or when you go to you know, set up a retirement account for your family, you're no longer worried about what if things hit the fan because there's a plan in place to maintain everything that's keeping your family stable in the first place. So the, the next thing I think is important to have too is obviously life insurance. And you know, if, if you're single, you're not married, um, do you technically need life insurance? No, um, but on the same token, what do all of these have in common, disability and life insurance, is they are priced based on your age and health. None of us are getting younger. We are not getting any healthier, unfortunately. Spoiler alert for all of you former athletes who think you're in the best shape of your life, the insurance company would say differently no matter how much you lift. Um, and in fact, things that can keep you from even being insurable are not just you know heart attacks and cancer. Depression has caused a lot of clients to be declined. Anxiety has caused people to be declined. Unfortunately, I have a tremendous amount of respect for our military veterans and active duty, but PTSD can also be a reason that you're not insurable. And so this is why getting it and locking in, and even if you're single, I locked in life insurance coverage when I was 21 years old. I had only been dating Courtney for a year and six years later is when we decided to get married. So I didn't need life insurance when I locked in at the time. 
but I locked it in when I was 21 years old and fast forward to age 28. I'm very thankful I did that because my costs would literally be, you know, probably hundreds of dollars a month more at this point. Yeah, absolutely. All of my Again, it's this is <laughs> it makes sense, right? I mean, life insurance is insurance that only pays in the unlikely, God willing, event that you die, right? So uh, obviously, the younger you are, the less like you are, like likely you are to die. Also, the more healthy you are likely to be. And so they are establishing that policy based on what you are like right now. So you should be getting as much life insurance as you possibly can right now in order to start again to build this fine this foundation. And there are some resources and maybe we can get into that about how you, you might be able to utilize that life insurance down the road to do some really cool financial things uh, later on to help you in your other investment strategies as well. So it's not like you just like throwing money down the pipe going, oh, well, I hope I don't die, you know, uh, Absolutely. but eventually you will have a family, you will have bigger responsibilities and you will need to have um, something in place in case, God forbid, something were to happen to you. Uh, so lock it in now. There's no reason not to get yourself the biggest, longest life insurance policy you can afford right now. I mean, is that bad advice? I don't know. No, honestly, I think everybody at all times should be thinking of four things when you're playing your life insurance. If you are single, honestly, in my opinion, you should get at least 10 to 15 times your income in life insurance because you're going to need that amount anyways when you get married. Um, and this is going to lock in that future insurability. Now, if you are married um, or you have kids and you're single, but there's somebody depending on you financially, whether it's a parent, kids, spouse, or combination of all of those, I have an acronym that I would encourage you to write down and follow. And it's called DIME, just like the coin, D-I-M-E. The D stands for debt. When you calculate your death benefit, you want to make sure all of your debt is wiped off the face of the earth for the other spouse and vice versa for your for your spouse you need to make sure you have enough on them to cover the debt if they aren't here tomorrow <clears throat> the i stands for income we don't realize this but our income is a very powerful tool and most of us um, if we have a spouse and you're, we're a dual income household we don't realize the pay cut we will take if our spouse isn't here tomorrow and how much that'll affect our ability to invest and save our way to where we want to be and so making sure we have 10 to 15 times our income just for income replacement and our death benefit is extremely crucial as well. So that's what the I stands for is income replacement. The M represents mortality, which is simply put funeral expenses. The average funeral in America costs $15,000. I'm accounting for 20,000 in my client's plans because the, the funeral industry is inflating higher than normal inflation. And so we need to expect a more expensive funeral. Um, if it happens years down the road. And then the E stands for education. A lot of parents uh, and families are saving for their kids' future education. And the one thing I've realized is out of the few death claims I actually have had, there's three things that they're worried about. One, do I have to sell the home? Two, how am I gonna pay the bills? And three, I was hoping to save for my kids' education. Is that still a possible thing? And I never want to show up to a funeral without the check they need and they deserve to take care of their family. Um, life insurance isn't a fun thing to talk about, but I promise my goal is to be the one person who shows up to the funeral with good news instead of just a sorry for your loss. And so making sure they have enough money set aside because the reality is most of our spouses are stubborn. So they're still going to try to save for the kids' education because they love their kids to death. And it's probably something they're going to do to honor your legacy. So why not intact that legacy permanently and make sure that education is paid for? Whether they use it for normal college or they use it for a trade school or they use it for you know buying their first investment property or starting their business or right. simply a down payment on their first home. Doesn't matter. I, I use the E for education, but it's really just for a head start for your loved ones that you care about. Yeah. Now, all four of these are not necessarily important to everyone. So when I sit down with a client, I'm like, hey, out of these four, which ones aren't important for you to take care of? Most of the time, if they're married, 90% of them say all of them are important. However, sometimes education isn't important because they don't have kids yet. Or maybe they don't have any debt. They've paid off everything, so we don't need to worry about debt. Um, or maybe they're in the military and the funeral is paid for by the military, so we don't have to worry about that piece. But those are the four things you should be considering in your own plan and figure out if any of those are not important 
and then just disregard those. Sure. Yeah. Well, look, man, I mean, there's a couple of realities. Again, just talking about the life insurance thing. We don't want to harp too much on this stuff because hopefully nobody out there listening to this will ever need it. But God forbid, you know, here's here's some realities. If you work in the blue collar fields, we have a higher mortality rate than almost everybody else. Okay. More people die in our industry than anybody else, just statistically. It's very unlikely that this will happen to you, but it might. Okay. Um, it, It it's just a, a fact of the matter. So having that protection in place, this isn't something that just doesn't happen because it does happen all the time. Guess what? We're all going to kick the bucket one of these days and you may as well make sure that your wife and family are taken care of um, even if you don't have those things just yet because hopefully over the course of time, you will have them. You know, the, as far as I'm concerned, the entire reason that I work as hard as I do and I work really, really, really hard. I do it because I want to take care of my wife and my kid. And I want to make sure that they are set up no matter what, hopefully, so I can be there to watch them enjoy it here on earth, right, as opposed to doing it from elsewhere. Uh, But the bottom line is, is that if something were to happen to me, I have a responsibility to make sure that those people are cared for and that they have the resources that they need. And so, again, just like I was talking about with the with the life or with the um, disability insurance, a weight lifts off of your shoulders when you know that your family, at least in the financial area, is going to be safe and sound if something terrible were to happen to you. Um, so one of our future guests on the show actually uh, runs a cleaning company and she is, you know, my age, she's in her mid thirties and she's got a, a, a baby, you know, three or four years old and her husband yeah. passed away. And she did exactly what you said, you know, uh, thank God he had a life insurance and policy in place paid off most of their debts. And she ended up using it to buy her first real estate investment, you know, and, um, she was telling me about how every time that she goes there to work on the house, she thinks about how this is his legacy. You know, he is a part of this, even though he never had the opportunity to see it. And so that man yeah. is continuing to care for his family and setting set his wife up so that she has financial resources and she has the opportunity to continue to move forward and take care of their family in the way that he would have been doing had he been here to, to do it himself. And so again, it's a, it's a, essential responsibility to make sure that you have these kind of policies in place. So absolutely. Yeah. Well, should we move on to more of the fun stuff then? Yeah. Let's get into something fun. Let's get out of the, uh, what happens if we die uh, conversation. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's talk about to how, to, how, how to put some bucks in our pocket. Stuff. Yeah. So, you know, let's go back to kind of refresh. We're talking about a house, right? That's how we view financial planning. We, we've gone through the foundation now, right? We've laid the building blocks for how do we create a stable plan? And so again, when you build the foundation, that's probably one of the, um, unfortunately, one of the most um, monotonous or boring parts of a financial plan, just like it is when it comes to building a house. When you move into your new house, you're not like, hey, mom and dad, friends and family, come check out the sick foundation on my house, right? right. <laughs> you know, that's not what you're showing them. Now we're getting into the walls, the granite countertops, the living room, the master bedroom of the financial plan, which is wealth accumulation. So the foundation is risk management. And the bulk, the guts of the house is wealth accumulation. We really need three assets in the wealth accumulation process. I call them a home run segment, an aggressive segment, and a safe segment. Home run segment is dollars that you are willing to lose you know, on a, on a, on a limb at all times. Like you're okay with these dollars going to zero because you are hoping for a home run. You know, I'm not saying that necessarily we should go to Vegas and put it all on red. That's not the type of home run I'm talking about, but it's starting a business. It's investing in real estate. It's, you know, maybe, maybe making a private investment with a business partner, right? Um, you know, for some people, it'd be hedge funds, you know, investing in a hedge fund um, or investing, you know, a, a very high risk stock. Um, so for a lot of people, home run segments are segments where it's like, we're trying to, you know, find the next Uber, the next Tesla, you know, the next, you know, Grant Cardone real estate portfolio, right? We're trying to hit it big, but we're also okay. These are the dollars we've set aside knowing that, Hey, if they don't work out, it hasn't bankrupt me. You know, it hasn't taken all my money from me. Um, Then we have the aggressive segment. These are dollars that do have volatility, but they have a long-term track record of, you know, achieving efficient returns between the range of seven to 10%. Um, so these are our stocks, your mutual funds, 
Um, you know, you can use cash value life insurance in an aggressive manner. Um, and these dollars purpose is to take some risk to achieve meaningful count compound growth over time. And then the other piece we have to have is a long-term safe asset. Um, and what I did to figure out where the best safe assets were is I looked at what banks and large corporations were doing on their balance sheets. And to, you know, really at the end of the day, what I'm looking for with a safe asset, the purpose of it is not to get sexy returns. It's to get meaningful returns that keep up or, you know, outpace inflation slightly. And they allow you to be composed and controlled during down markets and hard times. Because we are all emotional beings. And even for the toughest of you blue collar workers out there who have a, you know, a mug on your face right now, you make emotional decisions. Just may not be something you're aware of. Um, you know, you may make emotional decisions based off a purchase you want to make at the store. You make, may make emotional decisions during an argument with your wife or your spouse or your significant other. Um, even though we tend to, tend to, as men, you know, hide our emotions or suppress them, we all still make emotional decisions. And if we don't have the right buckets in place, we will make an emotional decision with our dollars long-term. Um, so my goal is to have a safe asset because now we have what's called a funnel system. We have three different funnels. When the economy is doing bad, we turn on the safe funnel for our passive income and retirement. So we let our safe dollars flow out because they're not going to ever go backwards. They're never going to take a loss. And that's going to allow us to let our aggressive and home run assets that may have taken a loss during a recession to bounce back and recover. And then once the market's recovered and our dollars are back to where they were, or maybe even above that, have some gains, we turn the safe funnel off. And we turn the aggressive and the home run funnels on and we start dumping money out of those for our passive income while they're collecting positive interest and helping replace the dollars we're pulling out. So having a home run asset, an aggressive asset, and a safe asset will assure that you're well positioned. And I'll kind of pause there, Jonah, and, and we can dive into more details on, on what tools can be used in those segments. But I feel like that's a good uh, surface level of the wealth accumulation space, the guts of the house in your financial plan. Yeah, absolutely. Man, so I totally agree with this. I mean, as I, I know you know, because you've uh, been checking out the show a little bit, but we talk a lot about real estate investments. And you know, from my personal situation, all of my investments are in real estate exclusively. What category does real estate fall into, would you say? I mean, what I would say is real estate when you're buying and holding is going to be in the aggressive bucket. And the reason I say that is because it's, it's going to be more consistent. You know, you have consistent income coming in the door. The really the biggest volatility you have in the real estate space is vacancies in your properties. If you're not filling a tenant, um, you know, unexpected expenses and damages from the tenant, that's the stuff that you can't control as much. However, in my opinion, if you are vetting your tenants appropriately, you're going to be able to kind of, uh, you know, again, have a risk management system in place to avoid a lot of that. With a flip, sometimes you can't control that. I mean, a great example was a few years back when, um, you know, lumber prices just skyrocketed out of nowhere. I actually knew some investors who were doing some pretty high skill projects where that really affected their net profit. Some of them actually had to take losses on flips because the, mm. the margins were already slightly thin from what they were used to wanting. And then all of a sudden this transition happened over, you know, flip can sometimes yeah. take six, eight months. And all of a sudden the lumber price spiked as they were in the middle of this right. project and it was too late to go back on it. So, yeah, that's um, brutal. That's, <laughs> that's brutal. Okay. So, if, so, so if we're doing like fix and flip, that's more of our home run category. If we're in the buy and hold, that's more of the aggressive, what kind of stuff belongs in the safe category? Safe category is probably a combination of three things. One is CDs. Um, certificates of deposit is what those are um, pronounced as. And that is a relationship you'd have with a bank where you are basically loaning the bank money. So just how banks loan us money in, in the form of loans and we promise to pay back the principal plus whatever interest, we are doing the same thing, but the bank's borrowing money from us. Um, money markets are another example, which are really just high yield savings accounts. Um, and then outside of that, we have permanent life insurance. 
There's also bonds that could be considered um, a safe asset. However, if we actually look historically, bond portfolios during the recession lost money. So they're not technically safe by my terms. Um, they're just less volatile. So again, they're kind of that gray area between a safe and aggressive asset where it's like, hey, they're not going to get huge returns. But when the market does crash, you're not going to get hit as hard. That's why in retirement accounts, you'll hear a lot of people talking about I'm X percentage stocks and X percentage bonds because bonds help kind of minimize risk in a normal retirement account. Right. But in my opinion, there's only three truly safe assets that legally cannot go backwards. CDs, money markets, and permanent life insurance. Okay, very good. So that's that kind of gives us at least a guideline for those. So here's a question that I would have asked if I was uh, talking to you when I was a young guy without any money. Uh, I don't have any money, right? So how am I going to, I don't have money to put into any of these categories. What am I supposed to do? Yeah, I think the first thing and foremost is we go back right to our philosophy, which is the foundation. Let's build up your emergency fund. Let's give you a cushion that will allow you to whatever small amount of cash flow you do have left over, you can start earmarking it to things once you actually have a buffer you feel safe about. Um, other than that is get the right insurance in place because if you're already operating at thin margins, if something unexpected happened, you can't financially pay for it. You're toast. Yeah, so it's, it's honestly almost even more of a reason to have the insurance because there's a certain point where you get to a certain amount of wealth where you can actually self-insure most of these risks. Right. right. I have a lot of high net worth clients that, yeah, they do technically still carry life insurance, but it's more for an accumulation of you know tax favored cash. They don't really need those insurance protections anymore because they have so much wealth that they could insure the risk on their own. Right. Which is um, a great reason, by the way, to continue to have life insurance. This was one of our very first conversations because I told you if I live to be as old as I hope to live, which is old, uh, then my intent will be to utilize the big fat pile of life insurance money that my family is guaranteed to get in the event of my death to pay for the estate taxes so that they can keep all of the crap that I have built for them over the course of my life. So it's a good reason to continue to have life insurance, um, even if just to pay for, you know, estate taxes and other things, which are egregious and insane, and they're probably not going to get any better over the course of our lifetimes. So absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, so that, that's where I would honestly say, like, if, if I'm a guy who's totally broke, which I've been there before, um, don't have a lot of money in my bank account, didn't have a lot of surplus left over, I'm building an emergency fund, I am protecting myself from risk with insurance, and any dollars that are left over, um, you know, you're probably putting them into a safe asset at first, growing the safe asset, uh, and then maybe a, a little bit of a combination of some aggressive dollars to get some compound interest working to build up a bucket you know, that over five, 10 years from now is going to be significantly larger and give you an opportunity to take advantage of that. Um, some typical tools that we'll use, like permanent life insurance is a great way to accumulate safe dollars because all the money you put in is post-tax, meaning you've paid the taxes on that money already. It's going to grow tax-free. And when you go to take those dollars, when you pull them out the right way, they will be tax-free as well. And outside of that, we have a lot of clients who will use a, a non-qualified investment, which stands for not a qualified retirement account. So it doesn't have those restrictions like normal retirement accounts do where you can't touch it till 60. So like a brokerage account, you could put money, invest in mutual funds, even if it's just 25 bucks a month, um, 10 bucks a week, you know, 50 bucks a month, whatever it may be. But then those dollars in that mutual fund compound over the next five, 10 years, and you have a sizable amount of capital now that you could pull out to buy your first property uh, or to start your business um, or to, you know, get off on the right foot and the journey of, you know, being a real estate investor or business owner. Yeah, I think this is really important. And this is this is basically the answer that I came to when I was super broke, which wasn't a whole long time ago, uh, which is that you, you, you as a person, your goal is to become a wealthy person, right? Like a financially free human being and a person who is like that does certain things. So even if you are a wealthy person who happens to be broke right now, right? Because we're all on a line and we're moving down the line. Uh, you want to be into the habit of thinking about the future. That's what people who are financially successful do, right? Uh, we are constantly thinking and, and generating these habits and these skill sets and learning. I think even having a conversation like this, I'm sure that some of you guys are out there like, 
dude, I'm 20 years old. I have no idea about anything that you're talking about. Um, but getting this education, even before you're ready to execute on this stuff is essential so that when you are in a position to really be able to leverage it up and to be able to do these things that you are in a, in a headspace head to be able to take advantage of those opportunities when they become appropriate for you in whatever financial stage you're at in yeah. your life. Is that, does that sound like a reasonable? Absolutely. And you bring up a really good point. It's like, I think I heard you say you have to start thinking like a business owner, right? Yeah. Um, and so let me ask you a couple of questions because I think this is going to hit a really good point for the audience. Um, every dollar that you as a business owner make in revenue, do you actually pay yourself all those dollars? No, unfortunately. <laughs> I wish right. I did. Yeah. Exactly, right? You know, so I had a conversation with a client the other day. He's actually wants to own his own dental practice and he's, you know, he's a dentist right now. He's employed and he's like, Leighton, how do I save up money? Even though I feel like I got student loans, I've got rent, I've got to help out my family, I've got to do all these things. How am I going to save up the money to own my own practice? I said, you need to start treating your income like it's revenue. Mm. And no business owner pays themselves all their revenue. Usually most businesses operate at, you know, maybe around a 20 to 30% profit margin ratio, where if a million dollars came in, they're only profiting to $300,000, right? And so you as an individual, if this is you right now, um, the reason you are operating at such a thin margin right now and struggling to save is because you are, you have a lifestyle that is actually above your means right now. And that might be a hard pill to swallow. But if you want to be a business owner, you have to start acting like a business owner with your personal income. So if you're making 3000 a month, in my opinion, you should be trying to live off 1500 a month. Wow. Now I get it for some of you that have a family um, that have kids, like some of this stuff may not necessarily be completely feasible in that moment, but you have to start asking yourself, my income is not my income. My income is my revenue as a W2 employee. That's my mm -hmm. revenue. Mm -hmm. So what, what am I going to pay myself out of my revenue for the year? And start reverse engineering that and saying, hey, you know, if I make $75,000 a year, how can I live off 50 grand a year? Because right. now you're saving $25,000 a year. That may mean selling that beautiful Dodge Ram that you have that you have a car payment on. It may mean, you know, instead, you know, driving a Ford Taurus. Um, it's not sexy. It's not fun. And it's honestly a super humbling experience. But, you know, Jesus humbled himself on the cross. He was the ultimate humbling experience. I think we can all drive a little less shiny car <laughs> so that we can save money and build the future that we want to where our assets pay for that vehicle instead. Yeah, absolutely. Man, yeah, that's a, that's a it's it's a tough that like you said, it's a tough pill to swallow. And you know, yeah. I spent a long time uh as a young man being to that point where I was I mean, I was making like $12 an hour. I graduated high school in 2007, 15 minutes later the entire economy blew apart, <laughs> you know, and it was like, "Oh my gosh, I don't know what to do." Uh and so I I know what it feels like to be like, I just don't I barely have enough money to like just get by. It's not like, oh yeah, I, I go get the avocado toast and I have the Netflix right. and I have all this other stuff. It's like, I literally am living in a bare bones lifestyle. Um, and yet, even still, there's always dollars that you can recapture and that you can bring back. And this is an essential thing that we have to be thinking about. And by the way, this scales, right? Because I used to think, oh man, I'm making $12 an hour right now. If I made $20 an hour, I would be loaded. Well, no, if you start living a life where you spend every dollar of the $12 an hour you make, when you make 20, you will also live a life where you're spending all $20. And guess what, by the way, this goes all the way up into the stratosphere. How many times have you heard about football players who are making literally millions of dollars a year for a decade at a time go bankrupt? all the time. In fact, it's more unlikely that they're going to be financially okay after they stop playing the game and getting the big check than they will be uh, the other way around. And so the point that I'm making is that most people get money, this much money, and then they spend this much or maybe this much money, right? They just fork it all out. So I love what you're saying. Treat your income as though that were your top line revenue. You are your business. So even if you're working at a job, if you were like me, you were a school teacher, you got your 40 grand a year, well, you got to work within that budget, right? That's what you've got to work yeah. with. So figure out how to back out through there. Don't just be thinking, oh, how can I increase the income? You want to do that too. That's important. Uh, but if you don't develop the skill of being a 
investor and being a person who is driving towards a goal, which is financial freedom, you're not going to do it when those resources become available to you. And if you're working the, the plan, as we talk about in the show, you're going to get to a place where you're going to have what right now might sound like an absurd amount of money, um, yeah. but you want to have the discipline and the knowledge and the education that is necessary in order to utilize those resources in a way that will get you ultimately where you want to go, which leads me into my next question. And real quick, yeah, sorry. <laughs> before that, I think what you guys need to understand is an important point, which is Jonah has actually gone through that situation of having very little cash flow. So he's not oh, preaching yeah. from a standpoint of, hey, I've never had to experience this in my life. And neither have I. My first year in 2017 with this business, I worked 80 plus hours a week and I made $35,000 in a year. Of revenue, <laughs> of revenue, um, <laughs> not not income, not income, revenue. right, right. And what I told myself, and and you know, I obviously didn't know before that before the beginning of the year, right, what my revenue was going to be. You know, I probably had hopes of a hundred k, but I knew when I started, I had to belittle my expenses as much as possible. So I was in a one bed, one bath, five hundred square foot apartment. You know, my groceries were shopping at Aldi's and finding the cheapest stuff possible, peanut butter and jelly, ramen noodles, you name it, still most of my favorite foods to this day, right? <laughs> and what I told myself is, hey, at the end of my first year of business, I wanted to be in a position where I had saved and invested a combination of at least $8,000. Hmm. Hmm. And at the end of that year, I had invested $2,400 that year. So basically $200 a month. And I had made that reoccurring. And I said, now I need to get, I knew that I was going to have a reoccurring 200 a month being invested. One, I had to go out and produce enough money to make that possible by setting up that reoccurring contribution. But then two, I knew, hey, if 2,400 is going to go here, that means that I now have to have another 60, uh, 6,600 in savings by the end of year one. Hmm. And so I, I lived on $1,000 a month seven years ago for 12 months straight. So if I can do it, you can do it. I had a, a you know a girlfriend at the time who I was supposed to take on dates too, and I found the most creative ways to minimize that expense <laughs> as much as possible, right? Making her feel like she wasn't being appreciated. Yeah. Um, so trust me when I say I've done this in personal experience, and I had sixty five hundred dollars. I was a hundred dollars short at the end of that first year, but I had sixty five hundred in savings, and next year was much more fruitful as a business owner. That's fantastic, so. man. That's I, I love to hear that. You know, I think that there's a lot of people who. Um, have a perspective about how, you know, like financially successful people have always just been financially successful. And that's, right. that's just not true. I mean, it's, I think it's upwards of 80, 85 or so percent of Americans who are what most people would consider to be wealthy, uh, started off with no access to any resources, right? So yeah. the vast majority of people who you look around and you go like, oh, look at that rich guy. He doesn't know what it's like to be here. It's like, no, the chances are that guy probably knows exactly what it's like to be there. That's why he doesn't care about your bitching and whining. He wants you to go out there and like get down to business Amen. and get some work going, you know? Um, and that's not to say that, you know, people are facing hardships we don't like it's not like i want to go back there i want to do everything i can so i don't have to do that again um but to me i i feel proud of like having gone through all of that kind of stuff you know it's like i look back with a certain degree of fondness just like you were joking about the peanut butter and the ramen noodles it's like yeah i remember living off of spaghetti for like two years straight, you know, when I was a, a, just getting out of high school and stuff and kind of just trying to figure out how to, how to deal with things. But that, I don't know, it's like going to the gym, you know, you're like, you go to the gym for the first time, you can't lift very much weight and then you come out and you're sore and it hurts and it's painful. But after you keep doing it and you keep training those muscles, all of a sudden it builds up and you become thankful that you put yourself through the ringer in the beginning because it can give you that uh, perspective, it can give you that attitude, it can give you the tools and the resources and all of the things that you have to do to compile the opportunity to really become a successful person. And I, it, it, to me, I think it's a character building thing. So, you know, it's as somebody who has lived that really and truly, uh, man, it's, it's, it's worthwhile. So just get out there and, and figure it out. Amen to that. I love it. <laughs> 
Well, man, uh, we're going to be, uh, we're kind of coming up on time here. Uh, is there anything else that you want to add to the conversation before we head out? And also I would love for you to take an opportunity to let people know how they can get in touch with you, because hopefully some of these guys are out there who have their heads screwed on straight. will understand the necessity, the necessity of building that foundation and, and talking to somebody whose job it is to utilize the tools in order to build the kind of house to use your analogy that they want to live in uh so how can people reach you and if there's anything else you want to add please let us know yeah so uh, there's a couple ways you can reach us um obviously uh you know what i'll do is obviously you know my my business phone number i'm going to leave with you guys um you can always reach our firm at 417-425-5767 um, and you can also email my team um, at Leighton.Harris at NM.com. So that's N is in Northwestern, M is in Mutual.com. Um, and always give me 48 hours to respond. Um, typically won't respond on the weekends. That's my, my wife's quality time. Um, but anytime you reach me during the week, I can guarantee I'll get to you in 48 hours. Um, the things I would leave you guys with. Um, is certainly what we talked about today is very surface level. Um, The reality is everybody's situation, goals, and expectations are different. So these may be some of the base principles that we're talking about today, but Jonah can even attest to this. It gets a little more complex than this. It requires a little more details than this um, for each person's individual plan. You know, some of you watching this may not actually have a desire to get into real estate, but a desire to start your own, you know, business, your own contracting business like he's done. That may be your end goal. And, you know, you may need different tools and strategies to accomplish what you want than Jonah will, or I will, or, you know, your mom or your dad will. And so understand, like, these basic tools are great to get a start. But what you need to do is you need to reach out to a financial professional who has years of experience to advance your plan. Um, you know, I, I don't go and try to build my own house just because I read some YouTube videos on how to do it and decide to become a contractor. I pay someone who has years of experience, who has made the mistakes already, so he can perfect the craft and give me the finished product I want. That's why I pay for a CPA and have an accountant that does my taxes. Because even though I know a lot about taxes, I know I'm not in them every single day. Um, I pay, you know, a realtor to help me find the right homes. I'm willing to pay that commission because they have experience with the area and that local area. Um, You know, so understand that the most successful people do not try to learn everything. They delegate and pay people to master that for them. So you focus on what you do best, which is your craft, your craft you have as a blue collar professional, turn it into a business. And pay other people in the financial world, the real estate world, to help you maximize your full potential. Um, and man, at the end of the day, is if you can just keep a humble attitude and realize it's not about you when you build your financial plan, um, you're going to be very successful. Because I've yet to meet somebody who's extremely wealthy that the only reason they did it was solely for themselves. That may have certainly been a part of it, but you have to have a bigger why. Otherwise, when things get tough, you won't make it. Yeah, that's absolutely true. To, to sort of build up, you, you you actually hit on the exact point I was thinking about while you were talking about the importance of hiring people who specifically do what they do, which is, like you say, your your job is a financial planner. Your job is to financially advise people to help them get to where they want to go. As a, as a drywall guy, occasionally I'll be flipping through Instagram or Facebook or something, and I'll see some guy go, this is how you patch a drywall patch. And I watch it and I go, no, that's definitely not how you fix a drywall patch. And I'm sure you feel that way when you hear people talking about what strategies they've been using. You think like, oh man, you were like, you're not utilizing these skills sufficient in order to get where you want to go. So mm-hmm. I, I really support what you're standing by. Because again, I'm a pretty like financially literate guy, but during our first conversation, it was like, wow, I have really been approaching this in a way that is not uh, totally inclusive. I'm not utilizing my resources in the way that I ought to have. Um, and I feel like we're really moving in that direction now. So it's been eye-opening experience for me. And I, I can personally attest to how important this is. Absolutely. At the end of the day, we're all smart. We're all intelligent. We all have really good high-level skills. But the best of the best know that there's always a way to get better. And right. so, you know, some of my the best people I come in contact with are some of the people that you would think don't need a financial advisor at all. They got it all taken care of. 
but they know that they don't know what they don't know. Right. And they're always looking for that next, you know, slight edge that's going to take them to the next level. And so, again, that's a part of that humble mentality, guys, and not being selfish is understanding that you don't know everything. And even 20 years from now, when you have 25 million in assets, you still don't know everything. Um, I still keep that mindset today, which is what allows me to grow and get better. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before we head off, and just for the record, I'll make sure that all of that contact information is available in the show notes so you guys can go back through there and, and uh, check it out. Um, are there any good resources or books or like ways that people can continue to educate themselves about some of the things that we talked about today that you would recommend people check out and listen to, read, whatever? Great question. I think there's really two books um, and you can get them on Audible, like audiobooks, or you can buy the physical copies. Um, the first one, and by far the one that changed my life the most, is What the Rockefellers Do by Garrett Gunderson. So that's the title of the book, actually. It's called What the Rockefellers Do by Garrett Gunderson. It's a book that deep dives into the entire financial plan of the Rockefeller family and how they're still wealthy as can be over decades later and generations later, how they kept this wealth train flowing and not only um, flowing, but actually thriving when most estates actually deplete generation after generation. And the second one um, is by David McKnight, who's a world-class CPA. Um, the name of the book is called The Power of Zero. And this book is all around taxes. Um, and I think that may be one of the most important tools you guys can ever understand is how to manage your tax bracket and manage your you know, tax liability because that's what's going to affect your net return more than anything. Somebody can have a 10% return, but if they're paying 50% in taxes, they're only keeping five of it. I'd rather be the person getting 7% and it's tax-free. Yep. Amen, man. Yeah. You recommended both of those books. I went out and bought them immediately after we hung up. I read both of them immediately and they are, I can assure you, awesome to read and they will educate the crap out of you. So make sure you go check those out I love it. and uh, and read those books. I, I, I stand by that entirely. Uh, well, man, if there's not anything else, I just got to say thank you for being here. We appreciate it. I hope you guys out there learned something. Uh, I, I, again, if you have any questions or if you want to set up a meeting or a time that you can start building this financial plan, the, you know, digging the hole and making the foundation for the, your financial future, make sure you reach out to Leighton. Um, he's, I, I will personally attest he is zero pressure. There's no, no, uh, like there's no like weird sales techniques or anything like that. Uh, it's just, he's a great guy. He's a good to talk to. If nothing else, you have a nice conversation. So give him a holler and, uh, see what's going on. But, uh, you know, I feel confident saying that you can put your trust in this guy and uh, he'll get you set up on the right foot and make sure that you're heading in the right direction. So Leighton, man, appreciate you being here, buddy. It's great to finally put this together. Jonah, thanks as always. Excited to be on the Blue Collar Blueprint. Hey, we'll, have, we'll do it again sometime, man. We appreciate you. Simper Fix. Absolutely. Bye.